You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. Friends, welcome to Inverse. Um, our guest today is an old mate, um, Don Golden, but here's an official bio. Um, so you get a sense of, of Don for those don't, who don't know him from uh, what Mars Hill days is an introduction that many Australians would have. And we should probably clarify that that's the um, Mars Hill that Rob Bell uh, was a part of and not the other one that will remain nameless. But um, uh, Don Golden is a humanitarian pastor and founder of the Just Capital Coyton, a consultancy helping thriving businesses become forces for good. After 30 years working in the most challenging humanitarian context, Don is convinced that a new economy is what the world needs most. Don and JCQ are preaching this new economy and their clients are listening and becoming more competitive and profitable in the process. He is the co-author of Jesus Wants to Save Christians with Rob Bell. You may have seen him in the Huffington Post or the New York Times on CNN or NPR. In addition to his work with JCQ, he is the Chief Impact Officer at Threefold Private Equity, who his mate Walter Brueggemann recently did a talk uh, with that I was hearing all about. That sounds amazing, Don. Thanks for being with us, mate. Mm, Great to be with you as always, Jared. Hey, give us a little taste test about what um, the Brugs brought to you lot in the threefold. Well, if there are uh, if there were three things that bind a cord that cannot be broken in the uh, the decaying terminal state of Israel at the time, there was also a three cord of economic justice, and it had something to do with coercion violence, uh, and hypocrisy, uh, failed religion, uh, all woven together to uh, strangle God's people. And so that same kind of three chord we get to uh, focus on unwinding today in a new economy. Wow. Wow. That Walter, he he might go places. You know, I think there's a good (laughs) chance. I think there's a good chance. I think some some publisher is going to pick him up someday. (laughs) Mate, um, what particular passage do you want to ground uh, this conversation initially? Oh uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at what they call Third Isaiah, uh, a hmm. picture of the coming kingdom. Let's look at Isaiah 65, starting at verse 20. Never again will there be infants who live but a few days, or older people who do not live out their years. Those who died a hundred will be thought mere youths. Those who fail to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and let others live in them or plant and let others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they, will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, 
they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, mm. mate, um, this is going to be a great chat. Again, uh, Drew apologizes that he hasn't been able to get back from his um, uh, professorial responsibilities in yeah, time. He's hoping yeah. to join us in just a, a little bit. But um, let, let's start in your story, Don. Um, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? Yeah, I would have been a very young lad, maybe in the 70s. Um, I grew up in the Church of God of the Mountain Assembly. These are, mm -hmm. these are uh, backwoods, old-time Pentecostals that I grew up with. And I remember the Bible being fearsome, frightening, and somehow with life at its center. And it was always oh. these two things that kind of uh, characterized uh, my understanding or my experience with the Bible in those early days at that Pentecostal church. Don, uh, I'm kind of picturing um uh tents and wood chips on the floor Is oh yeah that... i was i was called to missionary service when i was 12 in jellico tennessee in a tent meeting wow I'm serious man i i didn't wow. you know it's like one of those things back when i was a kid we walked you know we both both ways we walked uphill to school but i mean it was seriously like that that, that kind of <laughs> Jellico, Tennessee. I mean, that's in a Johnny Cash song, you know? Yeah. They... <laughs> Jellico. So that, that's it's hardcore. Wow. That, that sense of um, describing the Bible sounds um, Cashian as well. Would you describe that experience or where would you place it on the spectrum of oppressive down one end and liberating uh, down the other? Or is, is that something that's not simply one point, but a dynamic that yeah. how, how would you talk to that yeah you know the 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 more whole i've become as a as a human the more liberated from pain and suffering and the more joy of life that is mine through the divine and through uh, christ in me i i carry that with a lot more grace but it's like a human you know it was full of darkness and full of light and, uh, and, and it's also a kind of fundamentalism that if you love, if you had love and if you experienced love, it didn't matter that it was fundamentalist. You know, you just, yeah, you know, wow. it, it was a container for love. My grandmother, both my grandmothers were very godly. One was highly gifted by, you know, the, the, the fruit of the spirit. She did what they called shouting, you know, that she would uh, yeah. <laughs> run and, and speak in tongues. But more than anything, it was the joy of, of life. Uh, and so it's a container for love. And I think it speaks to me today that you, you might be the grooviest church going and not have that love. And I think somebody said something about a clanging gong or, you know, a sounding temple <laughs> or something like that. But you can be a little backwoods country church with love in it and meet, meet the, the, the universal Christ in that uh, mm. context. And so, um, but but it did a lot of damage to people, you know, in, in this sure. sort of extreme fundamentalism. It drove a lot of people off 
and I can't deny that that was a, a, a significant factor. Wow. Don, um, even those who have known your journey for some time um, and have had their own journey, like um, blessed and um, the um, fans flamed by your witness, even from um, afar, seeing what you did with Mars Hill Bible Church in, in Grand Rapids and uh, particularly the way that they engaged in um, uh, poverty around the world, um, the way that you framed um, major series uh, for them in conjunction with one of your mates who was there at the time that people might not even realise there. There's been a, um, a, a glory to glory journey that people have seen even in what was going on there. When you think about the lenses that you bring to the scriptures now, um, how, how would you describe, you know, if we're going to use the fancy words, hermeneutic, what eyes are you bringing to the text now that might be a gift that weren't there um, uh, e even with your grandmother's influence but are now there that you might be able to short circuit somebody's journey who, yeah. who are doing that hard work? So any cheat notes that you want to pass at this stage, they're welcome. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, what, one of the things that we do at... The, the company that the business that I started working with business leaders is we teach on what we call integral business practices hmm. and actually begin with a kind of hermeneutics, hermeneutics of life hmm. um, from integral theory or spiral dynamics. But, but without going down that rabbit hole, one way I like to say it is that this, this book, which is so incredible, does require adults to read it. Sure. <laughs> So that's pretty much it. Like, grow that up and read it like a, a grown-up. Um, because, because I think I think our what maybe forty percent of what you hear is an infantile, juvenile, embarrassing treatment of this incredible ancient mm. text that lives under layers and layers and layers of language, culture, time. Uh, whole cosmologies you know this was written during the ptolemaic universe you yeah. know earth is here heaven is there hell is down below i mean you know we've had um, galileo and copernicus and uh you know the, the the newtonian awakening and then the einsteinian epiphany you know yeah this requires grown-ups and if you take actually developmental theory which you know uh, spiral dynamics one of the beautiful things is our current level of modernity has no unifying story. And in sure. fact, post-modernity destroys all governing narratives. Mm -hmm. So the, prime, the prominent, predominant sort of consciousness of our world today, let's say maybe half the world living in a kind of modern, post-modern, with a lot of the world still living in a very sort of mythic religious framework, fundamentalist mm. framework, half the world in that modern and postmodern world have no unifying narrative. That's why liberals can't get their crap together. You know, that's mm. why conservatives can. They still have an they still have an axial age myth structure, you know, yeah. that gives them a way of telling a story that they deeply believe that they can hang things on. So this book should be both a container 
and a conveyor. And what is that conveyor? Yeah, you are correct. already you are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You know, it's, it's taking us to unity consciousness. It's taking us to a place that we are one with Christ, mm. you know, and, and that's, man, when, if you're one with Christ, you're certainly not blowing up people with your fundamentalist religion, but you're probably not hating on one another or excluding one another. You're doing mm. everything you can to set the communion table so that the whole world will come and find life. And so I think this book, if you can transcend its fundamentalisms and, and find its depth and include its core, it allows us to grow up. And so hmm. I like to consider myself a, you know, trying to be a grown-up reader and and an honorer of this text. Mm. Don is that's beautiful. And I think probably so helpful for for so many. Hey, um, uh, if it was just us, I would ask, and Drew's not here to keep me in line, so I'm going to ask anyway. Um, uh, when it comes to like spiral dynamics, do you have any um, critiques or um, uh, are there any kind of pushbacks? Like I, I love those, um, the including um, that which went before, the stages before. It's fine to act like a three-year-old if you're three. Three, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, uh, but sometimes that sense of, um, uh, and maybe it's about who engages it, but sometimes people see, um, and maybe it's even the diagram, the fact that it's an upwards journey rather than a downwards journey. I'd think flipping it upside down for me, I'd feel more comfortable, right? That it's uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, something more uh, canonic. But there, there are those that sometimes engage um, Ken Wilbur and um, others who have championed and they always assume I'm at the teal level. Like, you know, I've, I've evolved past the, the red, the blue, yeah, the yeah, green. Yeah. And now, yeah. now I'm, um, for people who are looking to, to maybe engage that stuff for the first time, they're listening and going, wow, what's Don on about? That, that sounds really helpful. What, what kind of warnings would you give um, for, for people getting in for the first time? Yeah. Well, it is anything like, you know, it's, it's like anything else, the, the Enneagram or any kind of tool, the <laughs> Myers-Briggs, you know, I don't have to take out the trash today because I'm an ENFP and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> uh, so I, I think any, I like to think of it as like talking about surfing. Huh. You know, it's like, it isn't surfing. Certainly yeah. we're, what we're trying to do is grow up, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we pray and we, we practice contemplative Christianity to wake up. But growing up does require the ability to come outside of yourself and see other things, see where Christ right. is seated already within, in the heavenlies. Mm. So actually, one thing I did as I dove in a little bit deeper to spiral dynamics, I heard, you know, some of I heard the critiques and I, I just actually started reading all as many of his books and he actually, Wilbur pointed me all the way back to some source material in a, in a uh, third century Neoplatonist called Plotinus. And I have literally, sure. I've yeah, got wow. this book right here, Plotinus. I, I've, I've been two years now and it's very deep. And what I've really discovered is a kind of, what, what I learned is that the Greeks followed eros that is the love mm. of the many for the one and we mm -hmm. respond to agape the love of the many to the one mm. i mean the love of the one to the many that's agape, the many. ascending yeah. love 
And then yeah. Eros is ascending love. And so mm. I, I think for, for me, I don't get too hung up on the details of spiral dynamics. What I do want to know is, can I surf life well? Do I understand the structure Beautiful. of how life yeah, works? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think those two powers of, you see it in the text when, when the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you allow the, the wicked to prosper. That's more of a sort of assertive Greek kind of, you know, going to hmm. push up to heaven. Hmm. But what the Greeks were missing was that incarnational descent of the, hmm. of the one as a form of the many. You know, to me, it's just hmm. such a beautiful way. Yes, we are to send. Yes, we are to find arrows or life energy to push in and, and rebuild the world, remake the world, make the world. Mm. That's the energy of life that we have, but we do it by responding to that agape that's just coming to us. In fact, I think you kind of yeah. see it, what, what they call the structure of the intelligible universe. That's a way to, a, mm. a commentary on Plotinus is called the structure of the intelligible universe. And as I read it, what I feel like is at the center of that, first it's made of love. And at the center is the cry, that word sa'ak in Hebrew, mm. that cry out for God's love. And that, that's the first act of Eros, assertion. Help me, Lord. Where are you? Where is justice? And then Yahweh descending and, and responding to us. And so you can see the levels of the spiral. Once you get into uh, dominating hierarchical thinking, you've lost it. But yeah. one, thing that, one thing that we have in the sort of postmodern world is a rejection of all hierarchies, and that's unnatural. You have, you know, you have, uh, you, have, you have cells and you have atoms and cells and molecules and organisms. Those are nested, actualizing hierarchies. So families, you know, there are, there are natural, loving hierarchies, and only because we only know unhealthy ones, we reject it all. But then hmm. what happens is that the true hierarchies go hidden. You know, they, mm. the, who's really in power? You don't get to see mm -hmm. a lot of justice work. I am more just than you, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah. You're, 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 you're guilty of walking while white cisgender male, you know? So you can't be, we're, you can't be as equal as we are. And, the, you know, that's just, so to me, the idea of trend of growing up is, are you healthy at every level? At the base level, your body, are you healthy physically? Yeah. You're, you're that magical thing in you. Do you have intuition that functions well? You know, or mm. does, it, does it harass you? Power and agency, is it, is it healthy? Do you know who you are? Are you willing to assert your religion? Do you have a religion? And is it healthy? And is it a <laughs> conveyor? And then your, your scientific, modern, you know, are you able to function with those tools without them being your, your God? And then yeah. at that higher green level, um, do you seek to listen and elevate the marginal? Mm. And are you willing to hear the marginal in yourself? And so to me, it's mm. about seeking health at every level. And then, by the way, one day you'll sneak up on yourself and you might just be seated with Christ in the heavenlies at another level, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, what is actual will become practical. Yeah, that's really helpful, Don. Thank you. Um, well, I'm, I'm aware that, um, you know, that kid who experienced a, a calling in a tent when he was 12 years old, um, uh, you, you have this brilliant intellect, um, but also you're very practical when it comes to um, compassion in action, 
um, as justice. And so you've spent your professional life, yes, one foot um, uh, serving the body of Christ, but another foot in the aid development relief world. And the work you're doing now is, is almost um, bringing uh, parts of those communities together um, to do that co-liberation work, right? Um, uh, that uh, some people being uh, liberated from their poverty and others being liberated from their wealth um, to find each other in community. Yeah. As we turn to text now and give you permission to play some and invite us into uh, these passages, not merely as a container, but a conveyor. I love that. That's That'll preach, John. Um, uh, would you just find permission now to play? Um, we want to follow you around in the text and um, uh, learn to see how you see some. Well, maybe I'm, I like what they call biblical theology. You know, that that's the sort of the arc of the storyline of the text. And I came across, I started playing with one word that I, that has become one of those biblical theology framings for me. And it, and it emerges in Acts 7, when Stephen is giving his sermon that leads to his uh, martyrdom. Hmm. And it's quite interesting to see that what inflames the, powers that be that lead to his stoning is him quoting scripture. And what scripture does he quote? He says these words, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build me? Hmm. And they stone him to death. Why? Well, because he's quoting Isaiah 61. Hmm. What's Isaiah doing? Isaiah is saying to the powers that be, you have lost the thread. You were brought out of slavery, wow. brought into covenant, and brought to power and privilege. It wasn't power and privilege that made God angry. It was, the, uh, it was misusing, misunderstanding what they were for. Power exists to uphold justice and righteousness. God... Hmm called them into power and, and gave them power so that now they can fulfill their mission to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, to do for the world, for all of creation, what was done for them. Mm. But they didn't do that. They did what uh, empires have done all throughout history. They began to use power to preserve wealth and use wealth to preserve power and to seek comfort and self-glorification in the middle of it. And as a result, the prophets kept saying, you're going to lose it all as a result, mm. because heaven is my throne. You think you're all that, but I'm the one that lives up here. I put my feet where you are. The main question I have for you, <laughs> how are you going to organize everything? How, what are you, how are you yeah. going to build something? To, how are you going to, like Ezekiel, the whole Ezekiel is all about a house, a, a temple big enough for the whole world to worship in. That's the kind of house. And then that's interesting because it points all the way back to 2 Samuel. God says to David, I've always been out down with the people. I've never lived in a house with cedar, but you want to build me a house? What kind of house are you going to build me, you man of war? Hmm. So that how, what kind of house will you build me has been the prevailing question. And my, my sense today is that the Christians, evangelicals especially, white evangelicals especially, have allowed the gospel to be 
divorced from the real substance of life. And what is the real substance of life? Interesting, that word in Acts, what kind of household will you build me? That word household is the word oikos or economy. So in Greek, it would sound like, what kind of economy will you build me? And, And I truly believe that what we need most is a new, life-giving, regenerative economy. Life-giving economy. You know, when somebody is really suffering, uh, maybe not like acute kind of like I, you know, uh, I'm wounded kind of suffering, but in their life when they're suffering, it is often related to their position to the economy. You know, people need a job, people need a path, people need a way. I'm, I'm a mile from West Baltimore right now where you've been, There's literally no horizon of hope on the radar or in the future for for the community where my local church is. There's no horizon of hope. What kind of good news is there? We have to have. And then, you know, look at soil degradation, deforestation, desertification. You know, we have a, we have a, a, a current economy that is using 50% more resources than the earth can provide. I mean, we're, we are barreling down uh, uh, a dead end street and we haven't even decided yet whether we want to take our foot off the gas. And that's yeah. a, that is an, that is an economic. No realize there's no breaks. Yeah, exactly. But, but this is not a time for doom and gloom. This is literally a time, Romans 8, another one. Literally all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed on these issues. Hmm. Because there is a necessity for each human being to to be what the the universe has brought them out to be, what God has brought them to be, because that's how we'll figure these things out. Let me me give you an example. This is kind of work that I get to do these days. That's... Hmm. I feel more like a missionary than I have in many years. Let me give you an example. One of my clients, they are a painting company. Brother, how in the world am I excited about paint? I mean, that's kind of a, you know, a euphemism, sitting around watching the paint dry. But <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, when I was hired by this company, one person in the mix said, literally, we don't really give a shit about paint. We just care about doing business good and then doing well with what we do. And something I thought, man, you guys are one of the largest paint applicators here in the Midwest and you don't give a shit about paint. So I just started thinking about that and talking to people. And then I found myself, um, I remembered a Scientific American article that I read about a, a cave in South Africa where the earliest evidence of paint being mixed so I was on a contract wow. in South Africa earlier this year. So I went to that cave oh, and I right. hired a guide and he took me to this cave and he showed me ochre. And this was a, not a Christian, but he was passionate. He was like, these people 164,000 years ago, they could barely keep the human race alive, but they thought it necessary to beautify, to huh. create. So paint is essential. We must beautify, preserve, and protect. That's a thing that we have to do. So after about a year and a half of working with these, with these folks, I'm calling them now the apostles of paint, literally evangelizing <laughs> the idea of 
how do we beautify, preserve, and protect in a way that gives back more to people and planet than it takes? That's the kind Ooh. of creative adventures that we get to have as we take the gospel into, because this is the real economy. You know, literally, if you didn't, yeah. if you didn't cover your house, it would deteriorate and it would, it would melt into the earth. You know, we, we mm. literally must preserve our assets or we can't stay alive. So that tells me that God will show us how to do that without titanium dioxide that whitens but pollutes, mm. Mm -hmm. without volatile organic, organic uh, compounds that we breathe in uh, toxins. So that, that there is a new economy emerging. Many, many people care about these things. And mm -hmm. I don't, and sometimes Christians are like, well, where do you see Christ in that? And to me, it's the other way around. We see Christ, the uncredentialed prophets out there saying to us, care. You're the ones yeah. that are supposed to be living forever. You're the yeah. ones that are supposed to be preparing for eternity. And John, didn't he see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God? And didn't Jesus say kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? You know, we, let's have another 164,000 years. Let's have another mm. 2 million years. Who knows? Let's let's fully live into an economy that is just welcoming people in, welcoming mm. people in. That's uh, that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm doing, and I and I find those compelling roots in the idea of that question. What matters to God is what kind of economy will you build me? And Don, what I find so amazing about. Um, the hard work that you've done personally and also in terms of like your, your social and ecological vision. I mean, it, it's not hard to meet Christians who have that kind of um, uh, enthusiasm uh, like and sense of hope, particularly when it's personal, but it's often um, almost, well, to go back to spiral dynamic, it's almost at the magical level, right? Like mm -hmm. they, they haven't, um, uh, they've experienced something very real and um, uh, hallelujah and amen, don't want to take away from any uh, of that, uh, but it's it's them assuming that um, uh, what has brought personal transformation for me will automatically translate to reality where they haven't factored in um, uh, with a sober realism, the reality of principalities and powers, forces that uh, are bent, um, not towards human flourishing, uh, but on dehumanization. Yeah. And so much of your work, whether it be um, on, uh, you know, the, the front line um, with uh, listening um, to people in situations of um, extreme poverty, uh, the, literally some of the um, poorest people on earth and not swooping in as a white saviour, uh, but seeking to, to listen in such ways that you can connect the dots between their own agency when given um, room to breathe and, and flourish um, with others who are seeking to be free from um, what is trapping them in lives that aren't connected to, to others. And you've done this hard work. So um, you can talk about these inspiring ways without getting caught in, in certain ruts when we talk about um, economic realities that um, it leads to a kind of cynicism and hopelessness that um, I'll be honest, like I, I struggle with um, uh, like on a 
on a daily reality to to say yeah. hopefully soft and um yeah. uh that that my heart is um malleable and mm. um when when you're dealing with your clients who uh, i'm sure they don't all come like this particular paint company right like i'm sure that uh, some of them feel certain fears and pressures that mean that their major concern um doesn't factor in our ecological crisis or, or doesn't prioritise um, those who um, are hurting most in our world. How, what are your processes of inviting people along in this work? Yeah, thank, thank you for that question. Uh, I, uh, we've developed a, it's, it's a course basically, or it's, it's really more of an experience that we call the necessity of you. And I actually draw that mm. from Plotinus. And I specifically try wow. to add a non-Christian. <laughs> Don, you're amazing. Seriously. The fact that you draw that from Plotinus, I, I love you, mate. Like that's that's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I love to talk to these, you know, Midwestern paint. These are people working in the built environment construction. And I, I like to remind them you're the only one looking at Plotinus this morning in your entire industry, you know. So, um, <laughs> but, the, but the necessity of you, we look at three things. We look at waking up, and that's an introduction to contemplation. And, and we do a little mm. four by four by four challenge, you know, four minutes a day of uh, uh, four, uh, four minutes of meditation, four times a week for four weeks. And just trying to get, and then, and then actually the first thing we do is uh, invite each of these uh, executives, these CEOs to finish this sentence, I am. And we go through, we go through about four weeks actually of just being able to set. And then actually I, I use this quote, every client, I take them through this quote from Howard Thurman. Mm. And that is, in every heart, there is an inward sea. And in that sea, there is an island. And on that island, there is an altar. And before that altar, there is the angel with the flaming sword. And only that which bears the mark of your authentic self can pass that angel and be laid on that altar. Hmm. So literally, we spend weeks with CEOs helping them put them past that angel. You can't be greater than you are, but you dare not be less than you are. So for me, I am host to the divine presence. You know, that's, that's how, that's when I'm absent from Christ, or my body and present with Christ, that's who will be present with Christ, host to the divine presence. And I help all these people, Christian or not, define themselves. And now you've got this core, this, what I call the, the, the ephemeral tether, this quivering reality of divinity. That, that we discover in ourselves. And then out of that, we just seek to grow up, you know, look at ourselves kind of moving and then show up. So wake up, grow up, show up. And that show up is knowing who you are and knowing the power that is your life. You're a CEO. You built, you called something that wasn't and now it is. And 70 families have a job and a life and a hope. That's amazing. Mm. Why does that end? Why can't you do more? What, what, so we, we really call them and help them define their authentic heart intentions. Hmm. And then some clients go on and we turn those intentions literally into business imperatives. And what we try to help companies do is compete on impact, literally out love the world. Hmm. And, and we, we believe that God will 
I mean, if you're in a, if you're in an unredeemable field, like maybe cigarettes, you know, you're, you're not going to probably be able to find it, but if you're in paint, you can discover that's how we discovered together. We have to beautify, preserve, and protect. It's essential for the human family. So if that's true, then God has to give us the grace to do that in a life-giving way. Because Paul says, in Christ, all things will be reconciled. It will be put right. That means paint. So we need apostles of paint. So how do I do it? We do this necessity of you course. Uh, I've, I've taken dozens of people through it now and it's just it's the most exciting thing i've ever done uh, wow. in pastoral work wow don that's that's phenomenal I, I can imagine um some people uh are listening and are like yeah but you, you know what i mean they're like cool 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 but um it isn't isn't this still and particularly um uh in your context where capitalism has had no form of um, breaks, as we were talking about earlier. Um, and for people who <laughs> don't realise that um, Marx was a capitalist, um, uh, like a Marxist vision is actually a capitalist vision. It's a particular capitalist vision uh, um, a, that has particular, like, breaks, right? Yeah, like, so, yeah. um, so some people uh, might be hearing this conversation and like, oh, this... Um, th this is um, no breaks kind of positive thinking, isn't it, Don? Like, it isn't, isn't this? But I know um, texts that are incredibly important for, for you, whether in Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel is, is Jesus and the rich young ruler. And I know for a fact that your reading isn't um, the problem um, with the rich young ruler is just that his heart priorities are, are, are wrong. Mm -hmm. um, for those who are going... What's Don on about? Can can you? Because um, I, I know you love Chad Myers as much as the rest of us. Um, when you think of the rich young ruler and those kind of questions that some other people might have, that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I don't actually believe in the economic systems as they're like formed in our world at the moment. Um, help me think through that particular um, scenario in ways that. Um, uh, can open me up when I'm closing down because of the way we're having the conversation. First of all, let me just say that I am highly, highly sympathetic and appreciate the, you know, capitalism. Who wants to be, who can be a defender of capitalism? I have no skin in that game. You know, I, don't, I don't have any skin in that game, except right now in the realist in me, that is the world that we live in. That is... Yeah. You know, people that are that might criticize you are doing it on technologies that are hyper capitalist and made on tantalum and tin that have been stolen from Africa without any yeah. uh, without any value add being given to them. And then they, if they're really good at it, they ask you where you know to Venmo me money. You know, it's it's mm. uh, we're we're in a capitalist system, and the only question is, and this. On the philosophical level, it could be that a kind of righteous capitalism or a, a sincere effort to use a tool for its uh, redeemable potential, that could represent a transition to a different, a, a new kind of socialism or something. I'm, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. what, that's where Marx was. You, you had to have, he didn't think it would 
happen in Russia because there was no That's established right. uh, yeah. means of production. So, so I, I'm not here to be an apologist. I'm talking about today, people are waiting for a job. And I, and I wish I had time to tell you about one of, because we also have an investment arm to our business and we just invested in a mine, believe it or not, a tantalum mine in, huh. in Rwanda. And wow. it is the, it's the very first refinery of this uh, of tantalum, which is the rarest stable metal on Earth, and it's it creates what you call fail-safe, fail-free circuitry, which is increasingly essential. The whole world mm. is coming to Africa just take this stuff. And one man, a follower of Christ named Ray Power, said, "You know, I, I want to take this these fundamental physics." and the engineering to work with it to Africa so that people can A, mine in ethical ways and new ways, and then get the value of mm. this incredibly rare. And you know that was not easy for a lot of us who are radicals. I didn't think I would get involved in mining, but I also know that area very well. You know, I sure. know, I know yeah. 20 years I've traveled in East Congo and in Rwanda and seen what uh, conflict minerals have done. Yes. And, yeah. and so the point is, and where I would ask for grace for my critics who, you know, would, would say, oh, you, is this is the world that we live in? And can it be redeemed for the kingdom of God? Can it, can mm -hmm. we love the world? And, and, you know, there's some real challenges there, but we're all, almost everybody I know, you know, Shane Claiborne, our dear friend, mm. is, is the nearest to not living in the economy that I know, but mm -hmm. even he does, you know, and, and, sure. and I think the question is really just about, can we use power and privilege to uphold justice and righteousness or not? Mm -hmm. And can the economy be a household that is inclusive, is life-giving and is regenerative? And yeah. I believe it can. And, I, and one of the other things I would say is that my years in activism and, I started to have a little bit of despair. Sure. And I also, and I also what, what caused me more despair was the anger and the rage within my own community of activists. Mm -hmm. And what I feel like I'm a part of now is a genuinely regenerative community of people just trying to do new things with money, trying to be new kinds of people and trying to do new kinds of things. Mm. And we are, we sell ourselves. If we fail, we're going to fail big. We're going to fail by putting everything we have in the belief that we can build life-giving economies. Wow. Don, that, yeah, uh, I think that's so helpful for so many. And part of the challenge, right, that um, I, for those who have been in activist circles, it's not that you're removed. Like um, uh, uh, where you live, where you worship, um, uh, um, you know, um, Dr. Reverend Pastor Todd, who has been a guest on, on the show, um, it's only a few blocks from where um, it was Freddie Gray who was killed, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, um, the, the realities of The Wire was literally filmed um, uh, around where you worshipped that. I think this week um, you're um, being, uh, do you want to, yeah, no, I'm, I'm being ordained at Douglas Memorial Community Church, which is a wonderful, historic social justice church uh, 
right now, um, Reverend Raphael Warnock is battling it out for his uh, senatorial mm. seat in, in Georgia against Herschel Walker, the football player. But um, uh, Reverend Warnock was our pastor before, before he went to uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s old church at Ebenezer. Mm. And so it, it's a church that has a long history of understanding the gospel's role in liberation and in civil rights. Uh, so to be uh, part of that community is one of the great gifts in my life over the last seven years. But now to be ordained there uh, is is truly a, a real a blessing. So I'm looking forward to this weekend. And I hear part of your journey has been um, out of certain, or not out of, but um, as well as being in certain activist circles, wanting to not define um, a sense of righteousness, if we're going to use that term, as an us and them, but actually how to have the conversations outside a bubble um, uh, with those who have not been exposed or in a completely different lane altogether um, and actually how to, how to bring them uh, into the, the sanctuary so they too are participating in a tradition of liberation rather than one that's appropriating um, uh, that which um, soothes as they continue to, to do everything that um, activists would have a hard time with, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don, as we're chatting, I've noticed that Doc Drew is um, uh, back. Right on. Um, from Drew, uh, welcome, mate. You feel free to jump in any time with the remaining time that, that we have left. Um, it's, uh, I wonder if he's in in transit um but don if if our listeners are um sitting with the kind of tensions that you're sitting with um and maybe find themselves um uh, wanting to go on this kind of journey um is it just us centric can people elsewhere around the world um uh, approach you and what is the best way to do so yeah, I mean, you know, hit me up at my website or, uh, or email me at don at just capital quotient. And the just capital quotient, that's your, you know, like your intelligence quotient, your JC quotient. See, this is your, your justice and your compassion quotient. This is measuring what you're doing with your wealth and your, and your influence. So just capital quotient. Dot com don at justcapitalquotient.com. No, we, we have a couple different you know, ways to engage, but one that's really fun is this uh, investors club that we put together from people from all over the world pulling you know, their little bit of money that they pull out maybe of their investments that they're trying to maybe retire on. Just take it. You know, people love to, I got to get 22% out of my uh, retirement, but some people are saying, well, I could take some of that out and put it at a higher risk. And just about risk, you know, that to me is one of the things about the, that rich young ruler passion, passage. Because, hmm. you know, he's, uh, well, I don't know if we, if we have time to go there or not. But so oh, mate, just... I, I've always, you open it up and um, uh, we'll, we'll edit if we need to edit, but I, I don't right. want to cut well, Don off when he's about to start. Yeah, on, on yeah well. To me, that passage, I, I looked at it, and it's one of the first passage I give to a CEO, and he thinks I'm just trying to poke him in the eye, because they're usually people of means, and then, you know, read this mm -hmm. passage. The only thing left for you, sir, is sell everything you own and give it to the poor and come follow Jesus. But I think that, uh, that the, the encounter with that text 
what, you know, six people have actually done what Jesus said. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of people that have actually done, you know, Mother Teresa, St. Francis, and Shane Claiborne. You know, there's literally how many others, you know, <laughs> seven or eight others in 2,000 years. And so I'm not saying how do you dismiss it. I'm saying it probably doesn't mean, it's probably not a text that exists to just say to us, I hope that doesn't apply to me, <laughs> you know, which yeah, is yeah, sure. somehow how it... 99.999 times becomes if you yeah. take it literally think about this you know the prophet knows the future through the patterns of the past jesus is the ultimate prophet and he sees a man and the passage says it looks on him and loves him he didn't judge mm. him he didn't say mm. oh look at this guy in his you know fancy red chariot you know he's just like he looks at him and he loves him i kind of get the sense that this is more like a like a uh, talent recruitment, you know, I mean, he mm. called many people and said, come follow me. He didn't say that to the demoniac. He said, Hey brother, you need to go home mm. and be a witness through the life that you're going to now live. But to this young man, he said, come follow me. Well, th think about Jesus knowing the patterns of the past. This man is rich in money and holdings and land that in 34 years will be totally gone. Hmm. You know, everything's going to be wiped out. And this, this man that he hmm. looks at and loves is standing on something. He's a, he's, a, he's a fawn on the freeway, you know? I mean, he is about to be wiped out. And he's being given a chance to follow Jesus, maybe have a book written after, you know, that, that bears his name. I mean, he could live in that company of the original apostles and saints and, and live on for eternity. But instead, everything is going to be wiped out. So in some ways, Jesus is kind of like the ultimate mystical Warren Buffett. You know, he's, he's basically saying right now, you think, you think that you're you think that you have everything because there's no risk, but actually it is by going into risk. So it's, it's like sort of uh, diversify your risk portfolio. You know, in, interestingly, um, in Plotinus, I read in the Greeks that Eros, this ascending energy, this life force, is the child of wealth and poverty in Greek mythology. Huh. Wow. Eros, Eros, life energy is the child of wealth wed appropriately together with need because that's wow. what gives wealth it's 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 like having hunger you know it's a healthy thing to have hunger it opens up space for you to know what you need to do if you mm. have wealth without poverty that leads to decadence if you have poverty without wealth that leads to degradation mm. the energy of life is when those things come together and so mm. i think that message Rather than being dismissed or spiritualized, look at that invitation. Where is that man standing? There's literally yeah. nothing for him to stand on. I think that's where this idea of the necessity of you comes in. What is in you truly? What, what is the mm. actual irreducible you? And what does it need to be engaged in in this world to be healthy and vibrant? Especially if you have choices to make, that you mm. could do things. So I'm not saying that it's, really saying you shouldn't give away your money. I'm just saying that for anyone, we can diversify our risk portfolio. We can bring in more risk. Instead of needing 22% return so we can retire at the whatever level, could we take a, a portion of that money out and put it to work 
for, for founders in Africa who are only getting something like 4% of all impact investing yeah. money in Africa, it's going to white people in Africa instead of yeah. uh, African founders. So, and find the vitality of life and eros and love, ascending love that comes with that risk. Yeah, don't. So, and to- you, you, so, so you asked me about ways to get involved. And, and so we have that investment uh, vehicle that we're, that it's a club. Everybody uh, engages in the process and, and we look at incredible businesses around the world doing just mind-blowing things. Yeah, that's amazing. And to pick up the thread, to go all the way back to our conversation, that um, uh, clearly the thread that um, Jesus is pulling at in the conversation with the rich young ruler is that of, um, you know, our mate Chad Myers would call it Sabbath economics, right, mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or Jubilee economics yes, um, in, in terms of um, that uh, there, there is only life and the risk um, that this rich young ruler um, is being invited to take is um, not to bank on um, uh, the land extraction game um, that creates more slaves, um, but instead, as you're saying, like the destruction of the temple, um, J- Jesus, like um, re- re- reading w- what's going on, that um, th- that's not a safe game to bank on. So this Roman economics game, um, uh, like our people doing their game isn't going to benefit us. This is going to lead to like losing everything. And the thing like the Midrash um, that Jesus adds to, um, so he, he switches, um, is Exodus 20, um, uh, where, where it, it talks about um, do not covet, and yeah. he switches it to um, uh, Leviticus 19 in terms of um, do not defraud. And mm-hmm. suddenly there's um, User. this game that you're playing, yeah, it is a game of like exploiting those um, uh, from your own community. And um, the, the risk is to engage in a completely different game um, mm. and actually join a community where things have been redistributed. And so in a very real sense, the, the risk that's been asked is that of um, uh, not merely remuneration for those um, who deserve it, but redistribution um, of, of that, it's um, reparations. Um, he's being invited into the kind of what we see Zacchaeus doing. Um, mm. It, mm. It's a similar invitation. Come and be part of a community that's actually participating in the risk of let's trust each other in an alternative economy, uh, a new economy to use, you know, um, uh, Golden's terms. Um, mm. Join this new economy um, that's not based upon um, defrauding um, or even a game of like coveting and desiring that which neighbour has but sharing compassionately with neighbors in a community uh, where there's redistribution instead of defrauding. And that's- oh, that, is, that is so good. That is so good. And you could see potentially that, you know, you've got this stockpile of resources that you need to cash out now for the kingdom, or you yeah. can keep holding it, storing yeah. it in barns that are gonna be wiped away. But, and, but, I, but I think that that invitation, especially in the USA, but in, in areas where there is great wealth tied to Christianity in ways that is especially the case here in the U S. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I think 
ju just turning it around and taking it out of kind of a pietism or a guilt or a, oh no, I'll never be good enough to, you know, I'll never have enough passion to follow Jesus with that kind of self-giving. There's a, there is an interest, there is a level of self-interest here in the sense of desire mm. to be a healthy, vital person who's, whose life is connected to things that have meaning. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought in my, my life of sort of the commute between this world and, and areas of great need around the planet, that there is like a means meaning equation. You, you, you have people who have everything but a meaningful purpose. And then you have other people who have a, a very righteous striving just to survive, but they don't have the means to do it. And mm. so this means meaning equation, when you can build relationships uh, and I like that idea that, you know, poverty and wealth being in coming into relationship creates a new child. And that's Eros, yeah. the vitality of life. And man, I, the, I am seeing that. And to me, to me, the three biggest problems facing the human family today are extreme wealth inequality, mm. planet, planetary degradation, mm. and extreme political polarization such mm. that we can't agree on the first two because we are so polarized. Mm. Uh, and here in America, we can't agree. Did, did we just have a virus that killed a million people? We, we can't agree on oh, that. Messy. We can't agree yeah. whether our current president was duly elected. We can't agree on anything that is of most importance to us. And the gospel is the force of reconciliation unleashed in the world. And yet mm. you have a nation with 30% evangelical church attendance that has uh, so little impacted its culture that um, it, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a place that cannot agree on what's killing it. Oh, yeah, Don, that's so powerful. Um, so for people who want to connect with you, it's simply dongolden.com. It's uh well don at justcapitalquotient.com. That's the best way to reach me. Don oh, okay, at great. Justcapitalquotient.com. Brilliant. Mate, um, pun intended, this has been golden. Uh -huh. I'm gonna um uh like with our official wrap time and we'll open it up to those who have joined us live if you've still got time for some sure. some questions. Yeah. Um, Tabitha, I'm going to ask um, if I can put you on the spot just a little bit. Um, Tabs, you, you probably know um, where I'm coming at. Don, meet Tabitha, Tabitha, Don. Hey, Tabitha. Um, Don, I wanted to, um, uh, I thought you would enjoy just kind of hearing some of our economic experiments in the inverse yeah, yeah, community. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Tabitha, do you feel comfortable doing that on the spot? like to be recorded and sent out into the world no we we, we can okay. we can cut this if, if you like <laughs> well, um, we'll see we'll see you can definitely edit whatever you want but sure um so it introduced don to some of the experiments that the inverse community is uh engaging with yeah well first hello thanks so much um for your work and um, my name is Tabitha. I live on the land of the Ohlone people on the west coast of Turtle Island, which is just south of San Francisco. Mm. Um, and I was thinking through, I saw your note this morning, Jared, and I was thinking through the last time you were with us, Don, and it was when we did chapter seven. 
of Drew's book, Drew's book. Uh, who That's will be right. a witness, mm. um, the economic uh, injustice and the church chapter. And um, you so graciously um, taught that night and spoke to us. And then after you left, which tends to be the way we roll, we stayed on for entirely too long. And, um, <laughs> but you know, Jared, that's the night that, um, this all first started it. We no had way. I didn't even realize that connection. Well, I'm, yeah, we I'm had a member that Don's hearing this now. This is great. We had a member of our community, uh, actually a couple members of our community just shared their very practical and deep needs. And we were like, well, what are we doing if we don't step up to the plate tonight? You know, why are we even doing this if we're not going to um, just do what we can? And that night, we'd never done it before, but that night we raised over $20,000 to pay medical bills, to mm. to um, to help with uh, rent for people in need. And it just was really, it was a really cool um, time wow. for our community to realize, wow, we can like we can enter into this together and it doesn't have to be really complicated. And then out of that um, experience, we started to um, to talk about what does this look like as a community uh, moving forward? And we got a hold of um, a couple of people that could mentor us um, through decolonizing Sunday school. We had um, Renee August came and um, spoke to us a little bit um, in the community, and we just continued to ask questions and see what other communities were doing, got involved with Common Change, and we have a group of folks and um, and many in our community that now give into a sort of common purse and um, find ways to, um, to meet people's needs, and that the way that that looks for us is to uh, is to have a deep commitment to relationship. Um, we we didn't really want to just sort of create a fund. We wanted like how do we walk alongside people and how do we do this well? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we meet needs that are definitely economic needs, but how do we meet people where they are in their life and their heart and what what like what is the true need? Right, and some of it will be economic, and then what else is missing, and who do we know? Um, especially even around the world, because that's where we all like, where can we network to, to um, undergird and, and supply some things, whether it's economics or relationship or prayer or whatever those things are. So that's kind of what was birthed out of, out of that whole thing. Wow. Tabitha, that is so cool. That's so, so awesome. Thanks for sharing those, uh, those stories. Uh, Yeah. Um, the Ohlone people, I'd love to learn, I'd love to learn more about uh, them and about what is transpiring uh, uh, in all of those uh, examples that you've mentioned. It's really inspiring. Mm. Thanks for sharing. Don, I didn't even realize when I um, sent out that message before I went to bed last night. Hey, Dr. Um, I didn't even realize that it was on that particular night that all of this. So thanks, Tabs. That's really helpful. Well, Don, if you've got time now, um, we'll just open it up for um, some Q&A. Is that all right? I love that. Yeah, for sure. Sure. And good to see you, brother. I love love the sport jacket that you're rocking here at uh, almost 10 p.m. on the East Coast. Drew, I should have made an effort. we we, We can't hear you, Drew. Which is a disaster for a podcast. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was coming from a banquet. So the Christian Churches United banquet here in central Pennsylvania. So hang it. Got to the pleasure of hearing 
the good Reverend Dr. Harold Dean Trulier. So he was mm. speaking and um, yeah, but, um, but I'm glad to at least catch this part. I was disappointed to be running a little late, but um, thanks Don for joining us. Uh, uh, good to see you, brother. appreciate your witness, yeah. Drew, did you make that connection that it was you know, I think I might have forgotten until Tabitha said it, then it just kind of clicked. But I don't know if I rem- I don't know if I would have done the story justice like Tabitha did mm. in terms of connecting those dots. I forgot that that's how it kind of yeah, evolved. Yeah, it's beautiful. Tabs, with your permission, we'll leave that in. Well, you. You know, I, actually, to me, this is an example of... Uh, we just things just happen you know things happen in the kingdom when you and i and i think through in in our prayer lives in our in our intention setting that that we can really seek more of that and that that god wants that god wants an economy and and by economy that word household you know do we all get to live indoors you know do we all get to have some of the goodies uh, or not you know and and so just hearing how things catalyze like that. And uh, I think it, you know, we, we give ourself weight, that word hovod, you know, uh, in mm. Hebrew um, or how Jesus says it in Matthew 23, uh, you, you know, you, you've ignored the weightier matters of the law, mm. um, you know, but we give weight to ourselves, to our lives, to our place in history when we do this kind of stuff uh, that, that you mentioned, Tabitha. So, super exciting and i want to be part of your community you know i want i want to see where some of those ideas start to require capital and i want to i want to go out there and you know some of what we want to be doing is pulling down from the big real economy that you know where all the money is where all the, the masters of the universe as as uh um Adam Smith calls it them. yeah right. yeah and and then uh and and as we're pulling people up there's a there's always that place somewhere where the real economy, you know, the big economy, that's also where the devil and all of his strongholds live in that same mm. place. And, you know, we're trying to pull people up and pull others down. You know, that's, again, that that transaction of Eros rising and agape descending and, mm. you know, that we, that we get to be part of. So anyway, I, I get really, like, moved when I hear stories like that about how things come together and, and and jake by the way i don't know you but uh greetings to you brother well don we'll allow jake to share in just a a moment but um maybe we can make a time when uh drew and i and some of um the inverse um economic team can have a chat with you and and actually work out some of that what, what are the creative connections um we did a interview recently Drew and I, and um, they're amazed that this is coming out of a podcast. Um, uh, somebody working on a PhD on podcasts um, in wow. um, Christian space, and they're like, "We've we've never heard a podcast actually practicing the gospel, just talking about it." Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's awesome. awesome. I think there are some cool ways that we can connect and um, uh, yeah. you know yeah. experiment some. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. No, there, there would be, and I. You know, the, the idea of sort of envisaging what it is that we require from, from the economy is a bit of the cry that is that, that sa'ak, you know, that mm. God help me. 
Because I don't know about you, but many people live under that line here in America. You know, 40 million people live underinsured. And most of their life is really a kind of economic cry, you know. And and so I I think to lean in with some expectation and, and say, here we here we are, Lord. We're we're willing to be a channel for resources, and there's no better way to sustain resources than through uh, currently through through market solutions. You know, and and I'm just seeing more and more and more examples where people uh, there there are entrepreneurs that I'm seeing now who truly have that apostolic gift. You know, they they are calling things that be not as though they were, and mm. and. And as a result, 70 families, a thousand families that that have a living wage that and and we're part of our job is to kind of help challenge them to go beyond, you know, look at look at whole life packages that that are looking at remuneration very holistically. And and, uh, you know, those kinds of creative things are making those companies more competitive, you know, Mm. not only life giving, but even more competitive. I I call it out loving the world, you know, come come to us because you we re- really are trying to do what we do in a way that's life-giving so i'd love to explore those kinds of uh where people people are looking to put their money to work in ways that are life-giving like the mm-hmm. kinds of things that you're doing so why not say lord help us help us do it yeah that's beautiful though uh, one of my favorite examples from your neck of the woods. Um, I think it was United Methodist, Drew, um, uh, after the financial crisis of, was it um, 2008? Um, uh, maybe it was, I think it was 2008. They decided that um, they're going to pull all investments um, out of, um, you know, daily trading and instead put it into uh, um, homes um, for low-income owners, uh, earners. Um, and uh, for a way to them to actually buy into um, the market. And so in this strange way, this is a market solution, um, but it's a market solution that actually is redistributing and sharing power rather than storing it up where like moths and rust destroy. And for a church to actually be doing that is an amazing example um, of just how Gnostic so much of our economy is have become that they're not based in, you know, um, real goods, let alone real communities and real people. They're, you know, 98% of all trading that'll happen on Wall Street today is in speculation. Um, it's it's a form of gambling. It's it's casinos for um, the, you know, top 1%. Um, and it's um, bad news for the rest of us and directly related to our ecological crisis that we don't, yeah value in a real sense um the places we are the communities we're a part of um the land that we're on and none of these things um, feature in how we envisage um that household that you were talking about mm-hmm. wow. brother jake um you uh, we can see your pretty face i'm um, taking that uh, that um you have something to share my friend uh i mean i don't really have any questions i was just like you know, excited to hop on an inverse call because it's it's been a while since I've uh, been on one. So yeah, um, just good to be here and hang out with y'all. And yeah, I'm super interested in like everything 
y'all were talking about i i didn't hear the first like 20 minutes because i was at work but um something oh i live on the lands of the duwamish people which is currently mm. seattle washington mm. um but yeah something that i've been wrestling with over the past few months has been like um how do i um like i'm you know i'm reading a lot of like uh liberation psychology and liberation theology mm -hmm. and i'm but i'm also like in the liberation theology i do see this connection but not so much in like the more like liberation psychology but i'm trying to find a a way of like what is a contemplative christianity look like merged with these like liberation practices and like ways of being in the world mm -hmm. um because sometimes i see you know like uh christian mysticism or like contemplative stuff that's like there's not really any action with that it can be still so um i don't know like individual mm -hmm. and so i've been wrestling recently of just like what does it look like to kind of i know they're not mutually exclusive but sometimes these two different worlds like seemingly appear to be separate and then like guys like jared and drew revealed to me that they're not um and so whenever any of their friends you know or whenever they're having conversations with their friends i'm like oh i want to i want to hear what they're saying um but yeah i've just been trying to like um i guess like connect the dots in my own mind between like these different things that i find interesting and want to embody but I'm not always seeing them connect. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, one thing I can, I can recommend, uh, Jake, is, uh, is Howard Thurman's writings mm. as a kind mm. of mystic who is you know, deeply justice-oriented. I remember mm. once uh, Richard, Father Richard Rohr saying to us at Red Letter Christians that he liked that relationship because while they are the center for action, and contemplation, they have more contemplation and action. And uh, he, he liked that <laughs> interaction of activists who probably need a little healthy contemplation to sort of, uh, you know, soothe their, their fiery souls. Um, and those, uh, you know, Catholic contemplatives probably need a little, you know, little, little mix up. So I, I think that uh, for, for me, the contemplative tradition has been what has to, to look at a whole other uh, tradition. I don't know if this would freak you out, but if you've ever looked at the chakras and, and you know, kind of the, the root chakra is, you know, that's where that contemplation takes you to that deep place, you know, and mm -hmm. allows you to just to have that place to go to. And then it just feels like everything else can kind of, uh, get more deeply rooted there and and any kind of activist or any kind of struggle you got to have those deep wells uh to to draw on so mm. thanks for your comments jake jake matthew fox um father matthew fox had an interesting book that put um the western um spiritual um Christian tradition in conversation with uh, Vedantic um, understandings of the chakras. So that might be a, um, a point to um, start a conversation. Uh, 
Um, th- that's the second time we're only what three episodes in, Drew, uh, to a, a new series. Um, that um, you know, to to use that colonial term, that um, Hinduism has come up. So that's really fascinating. I, I think there's a we're experimenting with maybe um, reading some David Bentley Hart with some friends who are from. Um, uh, Vedantic traditions and having Christians and um, again, I know the term Hindu is a is a colonial term um, that was introduced to people um, from that subcontinent um, instead of coming out. But um, we'll keep you posted, Don, because I'm sure yeah, you'd have lots you know, of things to share as well. I I have become more of a Jesus man, more of a Bible man, but the more I do, the more at ease I am with any one's tradition you know it's like Mm. all it all it does is deepen i we all have we need a container and i love my container i love my Mm. christian you know i i know so much wrong with it but for me it's like if i didn't have that container and had to go get another one it would take me 25 years to know all of its pitfalls you know you know i i i just cherish this one and its ancient roots um and and Jesus, as as Jesus begins to reflect through all of those, uh, you know, I, I, he seemed to have the problem with the people who wanted to exclude others. You know, that seemed to be the most problem. So I want to hold on to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I do it, but I get to explore. This is his. This is our world. You know, yeah. that that is uh, all for our engagement and and you know does it does it roll up into love self-giving love or not that's Mm. kind of the test right and and there's nothing like encountering somebody who um, holds another narrative to realize um, Mm. so much of what you thought was your narrative actually isn't and it's just larger culture that's been inserted into it and yet you're quoting bible verses um to support it so it's incredibly incredibly rich um there was this incredible moment where um, we had Christian Debertry, the artist, um, on an earlier episode, and um, Drew asked the question about liberation. And suddenly we realised that um, liberation from the tradition that we're coming is like about people no longer experiencing oppression, while um, for um, a Christian, ironically, not a Christian, um, it was about moksha and, and, and what is it to actually transcend um, the, the situation regardless of oppression. And it's those kind of um, like wow. iron sharpening iron moments where you realise, oh, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah. At least that's what our tradition is talking about. Are we talking about that or do we sound more like people who belong to this other tradition when we talk about liberation than what um, the Christian tradition actually understands liberation to be so it's those kind of conversations that inverse are all about that's awesome that's awesome love what you're doing doc drew um before we let don go who's been so generous with his time um just wanted to give you an opportunity to to jump in some actually i don't have question but tabitha was about to say something because i saw her oh sorry Tabs. Yeah. that's okay i mean i have a few conversations. We don't have to have all of them, but, um, I, my first thought was, um, 
do you have thoughts or um, experiences work around housing justice and what you're doing? And, you know, even as we're talking, housing justice is a huge issue mm -hmm. where I live in the Bay Area. Um, it's it is it is beyond insane <laughs> to try mm -hmm. and, and um, find a place to live and afford a place to live around here. Um, and it was making me think uh, as you were talking about parables, I was thinking about the parable of the unforgiving servant and how um, housing in our country is almost patterned like this, where like you're kind of dying to get into a place, you kind of find the blessing of it. And then people turn, they turn around and flip and then just like price gouge people right just underneath them. It's just so insane. You know, there's a house down the street for me, a two bedroom house for more than a million dollars selling them, selling Goodness. for a million dollars so that they can go and live in some other state in some sort of like luxurious, whatever. And that's usually what happens. You, you do whatever you can to get a small house here. You know, um, everything goes up doubles in price, even to probably rent, even to rent a two bedroom place in the area where I live is, is over $3,000, a month just to rent. And so I'm just wondering if you have thoughts around housing justice and is there hope for this, um, this in our country? What do we do? Yeah, I was just trying to look, um, my, 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 specifically where, where you are, my pastor years ago referenced a book that I did read and I have, I have it. I'm trying to look it up because it, it's, I think it's called the color of law. Oh yeah. Rothstein. Richard yeah, Rothstein. Rothstein. Yeah, yeah, they a great book. There's a yeah. whole bunch about the real estate of the Bay yeah. Area. And, and yeah. he begins he begins in the most liberal area in the world in America to illustrate what is ultimately a ruthlessly uh capitalist and, and not not even just capitalist, it's it's racist, what he calls uh de jure racism, not you know, um and that that uh, heritage that you're talking about is traced directly back to those uh, versions of, of redlining and real estate cabals and, and, you know, people trying very hard to pull their resources for integration and just being crushed in, in the effort. So, you know, one of, one of my clients is doing middle tier housing and, you know, starting to get some kinds of insights into it, but I, I can't say that I, I have enough uh, to to really be of help, other than to say, it's crucial and needs uh, people like you to care about it, and mm. uh, needs you know people like my client who I you know I think it's a, a it's a fairly sizable national uh, real estate operation that he has, and he's got some he has some innovations happening around it. Uh, so I, I do I do have a couple contacts that probably offline that I could um, I know there's a really exciting one actually in DC and I'm trying to think of the 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 name of the the name of the uh, charity that's doing some really good work in this space. So offline I'd be very happy to tell to share with you the resources I have, but I don't have a great deal of experience in that particular sector. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd really love that. Yes. Um, my other thought, I, I wanted to also thank you so much for your um, conversation around the rich young ruler. I find mm -hmm. that most people sort of diminish 
Jesus's love when it says that Jesus loved him. I think mm. most every time I've heard that, I also grew up Pentecostal. Most of the time uh-huh. that I've heard that story, it was sort of like it was told with this undercurrent of like, well, of course, Jesus loved him. Jesus loves everybody. He has to. Right. That's his, right. you know, he's it's like he's forced <laughs> to. He didn't really like him. He just like right. loved him, like, you know. Right. And so, um, and also we don't get the end of the story. And so I always wonder, like, what did this man do? And and what did Jesus know about him? And how how did he call him into something beautiful, even if he wasn't able to respond in that moment? So um, yeah, thank you very much for that. Um my other question, it's not, I don't even know if it's a question because I haven't read this book yet, but as much as you're talking about Eros, I'm wondering if you have, um, you know, when we were studying um, nonviolent atonement, uh, we, one of the theologians we were looking at was Rita Nakashima Brock and mm-hmm. her, and so I got her book, Journeys by Heart, A Christology of Erotic Power. I nearly brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that again. That's that's uh, that's awesome. Say that again. Uh, here, I'll put it in the chat. It's called oh, it's called Journeys by Heart: A Christology of Erotic Power. And Jared, if you've read, I mean, do you have thoughts on on where his conversation on Eros and the Kingdom and this um, these ideas come together? Because, like I said, I have this book. I just haven't been able to to dive deep yet. Yeah. So, um, uh, Rita's kind of case is that we need to put um, eros back in agape and agape back in eros, that uh, in our cultures um, uh, these different ways of um, naming these different, I mean, for lack of a better term, should we say energies, um, uh, ha- have been divorced um, from each other, that neither of them actually um, hold um, any of their ancient meaning that they've been stripped um, and that they're actually directly related. And we even see that in um, the writings of um, the early church, um, but also the, the mystics throughout um, the ages. Like there's no way you can read Julian of Norwich um, uh, or any commentary on um, uh, the Song of Solomon or um, uh, and, and not see that the, the church has traditionally held Eros and Agape very closely and um, this sense of, you know, we, we make fun of it, Jesus is my boyfriend, um, and I want to go, yeah, he's my boyfriend, and what kind of um, heteronormative kind of prejudices are you holding that you got a problem with that? Like it, it's, it's actually um, to be involved in a passionate love affair um, uh, with the divine um, how does Rumi put it? Um, Jesus was lost in his love for God. That's mm. powerful. Um, and w- what is it to, uh, again, unite these things that have been um, divorced? Um, wow. Anyway, th- th- there's my take. Um, yeah. yeah. That's great. Wow. That's, that's exciting. I, I, love, I love the, the openness, the centered openness that I always... Uh, get from you you know that there is that strong center that allows us to be curious and open and learning Uh, i love that about you jared oh thanks mate i just real love jesus he's tops (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and thank you tabitha for bringing that up that's a i'm i happen to be reading right now the letters of uh correspondence between eloise and abelard i don't know if you Huh? Uh, 14th century uh, French um, 
a monk and a and an abbess, but they he was a famous philosopher. He was very popular, and he was on top of his game. And so he took this young student as his um, concubine and was caught. And her family castrated him. And it's the story of their lives. And he, they became these lifelong lovers, but they were never together again. They were in different monasteries. And I mean, it's, it's some of the richest literature. It's actually their letters back and forth. And uh, it's really amazing. Wow. And Tabs, I've just looked up, um, just, you know, a 30-second Google search, seeing if the, because often um, the ancient church has stories about different characters in the Gospels and what they went on to. Um, so uh, Lazarus, uh, after coming back from the dead, was a missionary to Cyprus, you know, that kind of, yeah. Into that, his grave there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, me too, Don, me too. Like, uh, but those kind of... Um, uh, well, we both worked for World Vision in the Middle East, Eastern Europe. So right. Right. we were both like, were you there for visiting the offices in Nicosia? Mm, no, I wasn't with them yet. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I just looked up and I couldn't find any stories. So m- maybe maybe they're yet to tell. Maybe there's rich young rulers that we can um, uh, have apocryphal stories of that are current day. My my last question, I think, for now, um, <laughs> as you were <laughs> as you were talking about uh, spiral dynamics, uh, of which I know n- nothing, um, but it did strike this. Um, it reminded me of something I read actually just today, and I'm like I like Jake, I'm studying psychology, and um, I'm looking at this. Um, you know, there's this. Uh, Carl Jung has this idea of like circumambulation, Mm. you know, that you like, you keep kind of coming back around the thing. And is there, is there something about that in spiral dynamics? Like, I understand it is like this ascent, but is there something in there that says like, we kind of in the spiral, it doesn't just go up. It does kind of return a little bit higher, but to the same plane. And then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Claire, Claire Graves, who um, he, he would, sit in for Abraham Maslow at Brandeis and he would teach Maslow's hierarchy, but he started to find things that he thought was missing. And he devoted his life to finding every developmental view, spiritual, psychological, um, and, and indexing them. And then the first name that he gave was the emergent, cyclical double helix model of adult human psychosocial development. That was the name of spiral dynamics. And that emergent quality is that there are, that we keep growing, that we keep going, that we keep moving up and up as a, as a, as organisms, as culture, uh, as life, life moves from matter to, to life, to, to mind, to spirit. And, uh, um, but that it is also cyclical, that it it's going round and round, but it's also dipping. You know, the first, Athens, 800 years before Christ, had the most developed form of democracy the world has ever seen. 40,000 people would gather 
40 times a year. Think about that. And they, they, so that everybody had a voice. We've never seen, so, so we achieved like this level of democracy and now it's been, you know, 2,800 years. So it's going round and round, it's going up and down. And the double helix is the, the energies of Eros and Agape kind of both. And in Plotinus, the, the soul seeks unity with the one and at the point of emergence with the one can do nothing but descend in agape, bending down and reaching down to what is below. And on, so on his dying bed, Plotinus said, I, uh, I seek to give back uh, the all in me to the one, you know, um, and, and, you know, that was a kind of a secular non-Christian view, but it's just, it seems to have a texture of reality to it. So, yeah, I think uh, going back and forth, round and round, up and down. But this to me is where eschatology comes in, the hope that this is moving towards life. This is, this is uh, life is emergent. It's moving. I, I keep a 40 million year old uh, trilobite on my desk that I found in Ohio, where I'm from. Uh, and, you know, there's a time, the very place where I was born and raised, 40 million years ago when life was only that developed. And now I'm looking at this and now, you know, where would we go from here? That's like, wow. That's to me the, the wonder of, of this God that, you know, that we believe was revealed uh, in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Not every day you get to talk about trilobites and dinosaurs, uh, <laughs> and you know all this stuff. So, That's good. Don, thanks for joining us. Uh, I am um, disappointed that I couldn't hear the whole thing, but it gives me a good excuse to uh, listen to the podcast and hear it from scratch. I'm looking forward to catching up on on the conversations that I know was. Uh, rich between you and Jared and uh, but yeah thanks again for Good. you're, you're welcome and and you know we're not too far from one another so if if the if anything piques your interest around these new economics or particular uh, goals and plans that you have that could relate to it I'd love to love to chat yeah sounds great Don. oh now you're making me jealous that I'm on the other <laughs> side of the world <laughs> I'll, I'll find another excuse to come see you both soon awesome Awesome. It's always yeah. a pleasure. It's great to be with uh, you guys. Thank you so much. You too, Don. Yep. Bless you heaps. Awesome. Take care. Take care, mate. See ya. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse. Inverse.